In just a moment, I'm going to share with you the most recent interview I recorded. It's with Vincent Puglisi, and in the interview, we discuss some of the things he's learned through the years that have helped him build an income that wasn't dependent on a traditional form of employment. Vincent has become a good friend over this past year, and I was really excited to invite him to be part of the show because I'm convinced that some of the concepts he teaches would be very helpful to those who may have a calling to plant churches or lead other forms of ministry. In this era, many people who enter a ministry vocation, they choose to fund their work through an outside source of employment. We typically refer to that as being bivocational. Now, I'm convinced we're going to see this trend continue for quite some time. So I hope you'll find this discussion with Vincent helpful in your efforts to be a good steward of the finances that the Lord entrusts to your care, or if you're considering entering into a form of vocational ministry and you're looking for ideas on how to financially support your calling. I think there's a lot of good ideas here. So now let's jump into my interview with Vincent. Hi, this is John Stonge, and today we are welcoming Vincent Puglisi to the show. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a an introduction here on Vincent before he shares with us, but Vincent is an author. He is a podcaster. He's also the founder of the Total Life Freedom Community. And he and his wife, Elizabeth, they have three sons. I know those boys keep them very active and very entertained on a daily basis. But I first learned of Vincent through an interview that he gave on another podcast just about a year ago. And as I was listening to his interview and listening to his story, I really resonated with it. thought it was very interesting. He was speaking about things like his life journey, his career journey, his philosophy toward uh, just things like stewardship of personal finances. And I thought it was very interesting. So after the interview, I immediately purchased his book, Freelance to Freedom. And as I read the book, I kept saying to my wife, I'd read excerpts of the book to her. And I kept saying to her, I feel like I'm reading my own writing. This guy writes like I write. And I'll, I'll also say this. I want to plug his book here a little bit because his book was my favorite new book that I read this past year. And while I was reading it, I started to listen to Vincent's daily podcast, the Total Life Freedom podcast. And so eventually I wondered, what else does this guy have out there? And so that's when I discovered he created the Total Life Freedom community, which was filled with business leaders and ministry leaders and podcasters and authors and other creative types that were collaborating. And so I sent him an email and I asked him about joining and he called and it was very entertaining to me to talk to him on the phone because there I was talking to a voice that I'd grown used to listening to uh, as I would listen to his podcast uh, but he called. We hit it off. He let me in his group, which I really appreciate. And over the past year, we've become really good friends. Now, uh, even you know, I, I'm going to extend this um, introduction a little bit longer because I want to say this, too. And, and Vincent knows this already, but it's possible that some of you who are listening to the podcast today may not know this. So in addition to serving as the pastor of Core Creek Community Church in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, I'm also the director of a mission board that helps revitalize struggling churches and, and also plants new churches. And most of the pastors that I'm working with are bivocational, or at least they see the benefit of having multiple sources of income in order to help fund their ministry efforts. It's very much like the model that the Apostle Paul chose to use during the course of his church planting ministry. 
And so that's a big part of, of what I want to chat about with Vincent today and what I want to bring uh, before you today, because I know he has some fantastic ideas he could share with us. I want to know things from him, like what advice would he have for those of us who are seeking to operate in some form of bivocational ministry? Uh, what elements of his efforts would directly correlate to those in ministry who are trying to approach ministry and ministry funding from just a, a support raising model? So I know that that's a long introduction. Vincent, and I I hope you'll fill in the blanks of the things that I left out, but let's welcome Vincent Puglisi to the show today. Vincent, welcome. We're glad to have you with us. Wow. Thank you. That's, uh, what an honor to hear that about myself. As It's the weirdest thing when you're being interviewed for a podcast and you hear people talking about you and you go, wow, is that really me? Did that really happen? So I just appreciate uh, the intro and, and your friendship and just being a part of this. We appreciate you as well. And I've really appreciated over the past year. One of the highlights of this past year has been getting to know you and uh, experiencing some of the things that you put together in your community. And um, one, so Vincent's not a pastor, by the way, but I always tell him, I was like, Vincent, you know that you pretty much operate like a pastor. There's a lot of overlap uh, with his life and the way he leads people and, and mine. And so we've just discovered that we, we have some commonalities and it's, it's fun to discover those things. And so, Vincent, tell us a little bit about uh, your journey. Give people a picture of your story, because your story really resonates with me. And I think it's very interesting. And I'd love for some of my listeners to hear it as well. It's funny when I when I think about that, I feel like a cat, like which which life? Like I have, I think there's nine different lives that I've, that you can go back like a movie and play back like which point, because I've had so many struggles in the past, so many struggles in terms of finance, in terms of career, in terms of family, that it, it where I'm curious to you which part to start, because there's so many different points we can, we can begin with. So for me, I, I know that I really resonated with uh, hearing uh, kind of some of your low spots where you felt a bit confused, trying to figure yeah. out what direction to go in, and then the decisive action you took, and then some of the results that you've seen. Because again, I think that, so, you know, many of the ministry leaders that I work with, some of them have a great desire to do what they feel like the Lord's calling them to do, but they're looking for a path to help get them there. And I think that your story offers some clues to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had I had two main ones. There's a lot, but there's two that really hit me, and they had to do with my dad, who I didn't have the greatest relationship with, and that's all turned around, which has been amazing. But the, the, I'll start with the second one, which I was 32 years old, and I had built a career that I was really proud of. The first story came from 10 years earlier when I was starting that. But I was 32 years old. I was newly married. Elizabeth, my wife, was, was pregnant with our first child, Andrew, who's now 15, and was a month away from having our first baby. And I'm in my dream job, I would think, which was I was a newspaper photographer. Now, that world 15 years ago is way different than now. But at that point, it was my dream. I, I got to travel the country photographing professional sports. I had just shot the Super Bowl. The president would come to town. I, I, I'd hang out and I'd photograph them. Anything you can imagine, celebrities, the whole thing. I got a front row seat or a backstage pass to all of it, um, which everybody in my life was like, oh, that's the coolest thing. But at the same time, I was making $15 an hour. So you trade one for the other when it came to that, as was Elizabeth. She's making the same thing. And so I just won International Sports Photographer for the Year. Um, got flown to D.C. to National Geographic for the award ceremony. It was just, it had become acclaimed. I went from a really bad photographer that really struggled trying to get better to, I guess, now an international award winner. And having a baby a month away, 
And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to get my raise. That's what they had told me. Like when you have a baby and if you do as well as you do, they're going to give you the bump that you need. So I went into my boss's office, sat down, got my review and just sat there as he read off all the, all the accomplishments and I'm feeling pretty good. And then he takes off his glasses and he rubs his eyes and I could see it's not a really a good thing. But he's, <laughs> he's like, uh, everything's awesome, but I got to tell you, um, we talked and we could only give you 3%. And I, I remember just being like, I can't live off of 3% of, of $15 an hour at this point. I have a baby coming. This is different than the last couple of years when it didn't really matter how much money I made. Now I have a family to raise and my wife wants to stay home with our son. So I just, I didn't know what to do. And I remember saying to him in a very disgruntled way, like, you know, 15% of what you make matters, but 50% of nothing is nothing. And he's like, we tried like we could, anything we could to get 4%, but we couldn't. And, and so most people are getting nothing is what he told me. Um, to me, it didn't matter anymore. This is my dream career that I'd worked on for years, 10, 10 years. And I walked out of the office and I said, it's over. And it was a really hard thing. I stood in his door frame like, I cannot. And I looked out in the newsroom and I saw all, it just opened up all the disgruntled faces of people that complained about this career. But I, I was blind to it because it was such a big focus and, and money didn't matter, but it wasn't serving my family all for you know my dream. Um, I went home. And I called my dad because my dad had his own business. And he lived in New York. I was in Indiana at the time to see if I can get some extra work with him. And I tell him the story and he tells me no. So now even my dad is turning me down. I'm like, it could not get any lower. I still remember the sun coming in through the window, feeling so hot. It was a summer day and, and feeling completely just throttled. Like just, I couldn't, I didn't know what was going on. And he said something to me that changed my life. And this, I think might help. He said, I've been trying to tell you this. You haven't listened. Maybe you're going to listen now. He said, you have a skill, but you're not using it correctly. And I said, what do you mean? And now I'm, now I'm not as arrogant. I'm ready to listen. And he says, you've become a really good photographer. He goes, we watched you from the beginning and struggled, but you've become really good. See what you're doing, but you're settling. And I'm like, when your father tells you you're settling, it hits you in the, in the gut. And he said, you are settling for $32,000 a year and benefits. He goes, you could go and you could shoot weddings. You could shoot commercial, corporate, professional sports. Anything you want, you can, you can determine how much money you make and you can control your time and you're settling. And did that just hit? And so I, okay, immediately I grabbed the phone book. I started calling different photographers to see if I could assist with them, start something. They all turned me down. It just gets worse. I take the phone book and I throw it against the wall. And I remember saying, like, if you can't beat them, join them is the phrase. I said, well, if you can't join them, we're going to beat them. And I called Elizabeth and I said, we're starting a business. And she's like, what? And <laughs> literally that day is when we just started the process of where we're at right now. So that that's a huge clue there. There's two things I think are super helpful. One that just your experiences in life were bringing to you to a spot where you could listen better, right? So you're humbled by life experience and also this pressure of having to take care of a young family. But then that thought, that good counsel that your dad gave you, you have a skill, you have a gift. There's something that, that you're good at and you're not using it. I hope those that are listening to the recording today uh, will notice those elements there because I think there's a few clues there that we could all probably apply to our life if we're trying to figure this this puzzle out for ourselves. So so pick it up from there. Yeah, it, so it was a year of struggle. I tell everybody, you know, I'll tell people in TLF as they're starting, like the first year is the hardest in everything. And it's when people quit and it's when you make your biggest mistakes 
It's when you will work more and you'll make less in the first year of your business or any venture you do like that. But three years, and you and I have talked about this, three years from now is when you see all the rewards. That's when the time opens up along the way. But really, every single time for us has been three years. It's like it doesn't require as much work. We make more money. It's more optimized. We can now venture out to other areas that we want to kind of grow out to while maintaining this. But to deal with the idea that the first year is going to be awful, it might not be, but the chances are, that's what we went through. You know, we made all our contractual mistakes. We lost major money, like the stress, everything that went with it that first year. But it was so worth it because we learned about how to handle money. We learned the whole altruistic, like, oh, and you might deal with it in the world with pastors. I know you do, but it was the same thing in, in the arts. It's the same thing in photography. You sacrifice your maybe well-being or your family's well-being for what you feel is your calling. It was Pastors same- struggle with that all the time. That's one of the biggest things pastors are struggling with. And, it, and it's the same thing with artists. Mm-hmm. I know so many amazing photographers that are broke. Now, money's not the be-all, end-all, but my goodness, to a certain point, it helps in life. I learned that I was never generous when I was broke. I couldn't be. I didn't find anything noble in it once I got out of it. Mm-hmm. it, it maybe it was a calling card, like, I don't really care about the money because I would say that. It's not mm-hmm. about that. It's about this. I like being generous. I like being generous with my time. I like being generous with my money. I was not able to do any of that. Mm-hmm. And that made me feel kind of empty. So we had a focus to, you know, well, we got to get out of debt. We followed Dave Ramsey. And what we did was we made a pact to Elizabeth was going to leave her job. I was going to stay in the job and we're going to build this business. And every dime that we made from that business, we were going to pay off our debt with. Mm-hmm. And that was the goal. And we realized we could live on less than we realized. We didn't need as much as we thought. And it gained momentum. So every thousand dollars went towards the debt, but it built the business up to a three-year pattern that we talked about a little bit more than that. We paid off all of our debt, including our house. We were completely free of that. And when I went to quit the job, the business was a full-fledged business that made more money beyond we both made, that we both made as employees years earlier. We went from working combined 440 days to only having to work about 30. So when Which you combine amazing. <laughs> yeah, when you so when you combine the time freedom with now the money, mm-hmm. you get to live the life that you want to live. And it was three years of pain that led to almost an immediate um, sense of total life freedom. That's eventually where the name came from. Right. And that, and that's something that, you know, when I talk to, I, that's fantastic, by the way. And I, I think there's a lot of uh, very inspiring elements of your story that, that I find very encouraging. And I love just hearing about it. But I also love the idea of some of, some of those that, that really feel like they have a calling and they want to serve in various forms of, of ministry and, and just, just a variety of things that they'd love to be able to say yes to do. But you know what I'm discovering? So leading this mission board, there are people that come to us that are saddled with debt. Uh, there are people that come to other mission agencies. They are saddled with debt. And most mission agencies can't take you until you're solvent. And so that inhibits it's it's like this worldly philosophy toward money where it's all consumption no generosity mm-hmm. you know like uh uh, just just debt upon debt upon debt, and it inhibits people from actually being able to say yes to some of the things that I think that they're supposed to be saying yes to, and there's this big roadblock there. 
And so, um, you know, hearing your story, even how you, you felt inspired to pay off your debts and and really not have those things hanging over your head. And then you and your wife were able to work together to build up this business. And then before you knew it, it was doing better than the other things that you'd been doing in the past. That's a fantastic trajectory. Well, you when you learn, thank you, but when you learn to optimize your time, mm-hmm. and that was key. We learned like, oh, time I learned through the process was a big deal to me. I want to be able to do what I want to do every day. And having gone from school from six years old to whenever where I, time was controlled for me, right. you know, I was told when to be on the bus. I was told when to get on the, get off the bus. I was told when to be in class. I didn't know that I didn't like it because it was my only life that I had. And then I, I remember even being as a, with my guidance counselor when I was 16 years old, she said, you know, I was not a good student. I was, I just found out the last day before high school that I would graduate. Um, but she said, what do you want to do with your life? And I'm 16. I said, I don't know, but I just don't want to wear a tie. <laughs> And, and she got so mad at me. She's like, no, I'm serious. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. I don't want to wear a tie. I don't want to go into an office every day and, and, and wear a tie. And, but the funny thing about that, as much as she got mad at me, I'm so glad I thought of that and I said that because it really eliminated so many things that I would not allow myself to do because I knew what I didn't want to do. Now, it made it hard for a couple of years because as my friends on Long Island were, were you know, going to these good colleges to get these good jobs, I knew it wasn't what I wanted. So I floundered. I, I failed out of college five times. I, you know, I, I, did all, I got arrested. I did all this, all this stuff. But when it hit, and I realized the moment 10 years earlier with my dad when he explained to me about, you could be a photographer. You, can, you like traveling. You like sports. You like taking pictures. Why don't you? I mean, I was such a screw up to begin with that I had nothing to lose. Now, if I would have been really good, I'm not telling people to be bad in school, but if I was good in school and I had gotten you know, into Harvard, at 22 years old, I wouldn't have had the option to quit and go after my dream of being a sports photographer. It wouldn't be possible. But the fact that there were no expectations, it, it was a blank slate for me, an open palette. And I was able to literally take my passions and my skills and put them together and create a dream career for me. But that wouldn't have happened if I would have more tied to the job. So it's important to figure out what it is that you are good at, what you love doing and and the work that you want to do so that you can build that life for yourself. And and I know a big part of that life is uh, for you is the investment that you get to make in your marriage and in your kids. And uh, I see, you know, as someone who's gotten to know you over the past year, I I see that you spend a lot of time with that. I'll I'll tell you a real sad story that um, is is something that pastors sometimes get themselves into. I had lunch with a pastor years ago, and uh, I was sitting across from him, and he was just asking me about a variety of things. And he said, he said, I have to admit something to you. The other, uh, I guess it was recently prior to that, he said, I was at a park and I saw a father throwing a Frisbee with his son. And it dawned on me that I never did that when my kids were growing up. And I said, you didn't like you didn't throw a Frisbee. He said, he said, I have no memory of ever throwing a Frisbee with my kids. Mm. And I said, did you do anything like that? And he said, nope, I never did anything like that because I never my life was never really set up for me to have the time for them to do those things. And I said, well, you know, what do things look like now? And he said, he said, my kids are all adults now and they don't even want to talk to me. They don't even talk to me. And I and I look at I look at that and I thought that was one of the saddest stories anyone mm. ever told me. And so I'm looking at what you're doing, and obviously there was a business element to what you're doing. But you know, I I I know you know you and your wife have been blessed with with three sons, and and I see you spending time with them, you know, all the time. And I think to myself, there is a family component 
to some of these early sacrifices that you made and some of the risks that you took on yourself uh, to get some of these things set up. I, I'm just curious, you know, what you think about this, even from just a family standpoint, when you think back to the decisions you made and how those are impacting you right now. It's a huge, it's a huge part of it. Um, I remember when they were babies, right around that time when Andrew was one, maybe, maybe two, maybe Noel was just born, who's our middle child, and we didn't have any money. We didn't have any money. We were just starting, but we dreamed and we said, now, not in terms of the work we're going to do, but we said, what do we want life to be like 10 years from now? I remember this conversation. And it wasn't about being wealthy, but it was about having no money worries. Mm-hmm. No money. It wasn't a grand house. It wasn't any type of car. It was, I don't want to worry about money. And we want to be able to be generous. And we want the time and the freedom to be able to travel when and where we want. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a huge goal in terms of, when you look back on it, it's not that hard to attain if it's what you focus on. But if we focus on different things, those things would not have been possible. So as we built the photography career out, it became a thing where, well, we only worked on certain weekends, so we could travel more. But it, it grew out more like we want more. We want more time freedom. It wasn't about more money. It was about more time freedom. So our, a, a dream for us was to travel for months at a time with our family, mm-hmm. just four months on the road and just go explore the world. We homeschool and people say to us like, where do your kids go to school? We say everywhere. <laughs> Seven o'clock in the morning, you know, when they're looking for bugs is school, you know, mm-hmm. eight o'clock at night when we're doing this thing, that's all, it's all education. It's not in a classroom. So that's the way we viewed it. And so we just set out to, to build that life. Mm-hmm. It didn't, re- it requires money, but it didn't require what people might think right? A lot of people can do it with the salary they make, but they're tied down to their job and a location and their kids being in school. And I'm not against any of that stuff, but for sure. our life, we needed that. So it was all came down to time with our family, but it's not about this selfish business money thing is you build the business to create the family life, not mm-hmm. the other way around. Because if you have the family life without the money and the time freedom, there's only so much you could do with it and your mind's not there all the time. But if you could build a business that it opens up that life for you, you can travel with your kids for a month at a time. You can take time off. You can hire people out. You could do just the work that you want to do so you could focus on those kids when you've got them because our kids are 15, 13, and nine. And I feel so blessed to have all this time with them. But as you know, the time goes. The time quickly, goes. and Very quickly. Quickly. And like your friend that you noticed, I've met so many people that put all the time and effort into their business and because they're doing it for their family and their kids college and they were never around for the kids. And just like your friend, the kids don't aren't around them anymore. The kids don't come visit. They never, they never built that relationship. Right. That's the type of thing that you, that I frequently see as, uh, as an issue, you know, that's, that's not an uncommon thing. And I'm wondering, um, one of the things that's important to me personally, and I know it's important to a lot of ministry leaders that I interact with, is that if, if I get the sense that the Lord wants me to do something, I want to be able to just say yes. I, I, mm-hmm. I want to live my life in a posture where I could just say yes. So if he says, John, I want you to go here and do this, I just want to say yes, whatever it is. And so um, I know one of the the reasons that I personally prioritize good financial stewardship is that it takes one of those roadblocks away. So if I don't have a whole bunch of debt hanging out over my head, if I can live simply and um, and and not just burden my family with a whole bunch of things that or a lifestyle creep type of thing where we're trying to live up to somebody else's expectations, but just live simply, 
live debt free, you know, make sure that that we're being intentional about having multiple sources of income so that we can serve churches for free. And, 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 you know, just like, there's a lot of things we're able to say yes to uh, because of some of these decisions. And I I wonder if maybe you could give um, some ministry leaders a pep talk or just some counsel on where to start if this is something that they're thinking about, but they realize maybe they've just got themselves indebted or they just don't know where to start as far as building a business or, or um, like, like where should they begin? Is there a gift that they have that they're not using or, or, you know, what are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah. The gift that they they have that they're not using is, is a huge one. Exactly what you're doing, exactly what you're doing in so many ways in terms of, it could be a local area that you could serve. That is something where, and I want to back up from that first because I, I think it's mindset first. I think the mindset behind earning money is a bad thing is the main thing to, to, to attach to first because if you don't believe that, you're never going to be able to see the things that you can, the opportunities that you have. A lot of people look at making money like they're doing something immoral or they're doing something wrong by earning a good living because if you're doing well, and your family's not stressed, and your spouse isn't feeling tied down where they, they, where they have to worry about groceries or, or anything like that, and your kids are, are – everything's taken care of, and money stress isn't in the house. It allows you to sit back and really think about what you really want to do instead of what you really have to do. And the, I, you know, we've talked about a lot in terms of multiple streams of income. I think everybody has an ability to earn the money that they need to live that life. And, and, I, and I say it this way. If you can, it, it's Kevin Kelly. If the people haven't studied him, he has the thing called a thousand true fans, which is if you could have a thousand people that pay you a hundred dollars a year for something, that's a hundred thousand dollars a year. Now that doesn't sound so overwhelming when you think of it that way. But if you have a hundred people that pay you a hundred dollars a month for something, 200 people that pay you $50 a month for something, a thousand people that pay you 10, whatever it is, that gets you to a level that whenever I ask people, what amount of money would make you feel like, sure, money, more would be nice, but I don't need it. And people say $10,000 a month. It's the answer everybody, almost everybody gives. Well, those equations come out to that. Now, what can you do to serve a small audience, over-deliver, where they would be willing to invest something like that and pay for that and they can get value from it? Maybe it's community, maybe it's course, maybe whatever it is. But when you start thinking that way, you realize there's a world of a million micro niches and whether it's in, you know, somewhere in Pennsylvania, wherever you live, if you could blend your skills and your passions and your talents, if you could do something that nobody else can have because your connections and your information is unlike anybody else. And you don't need to be a superstar to live the life that you want. If you're happy with $10,000 a month and then potential for more, anybody can do it. And we all have this phone in our pocket for the most part that allows us to do it from anywhere. And I think we've been trained from school to not think that we got to go work for somebody else or we, or we have to, we're not worth as much as we think we are. And we're so much more valuable than we realize. And the opportunities are endless. So that's, if people can see that, oh, I can live that life. I can make the money I need to then be, have my family in great shape and be generous and do the work that I love. If you can get that, it's, it's, not smooth sailing, but we can start working and we can start doing something. Awesome. Um, in, in just a second, I want to ask you a few questions related to leadership. Okay. But we're going to do something fun before we do that. So since we're going to, this is how we're going to transition it here. All right. I've got three random questions here from a stack of questions. 
They have nothing to do with entrepreneurship. They have nothing to do with leadership. They have nothing to do with anything important. Question number one, would you rather be a dolphin, lion, eagle, or horse, and why? That's a great question. We were just watching dolphins the other day. It was fascinating. Um, I think an eagle. All right. Why an eagle? Just for the ability to be able to soar and and just you know total life freedom right there's i don't think there's any other animal that associates freedom more than an eagle so okay that's a good football. answer it's a good football team too you don't have to tell us your that's favorite, true. okay <laughs> was, was there is there a stealer animal in there somewhere i don't know let me look through this card again nope i don't see it all right second question if you could be part of a tv show for a week which one would you pick probably something from when you were growing up oh it would probably it would be where I would fit in would be everybody loves Raymond because I believe that's part of my family. <laughs> um, but if I could choose one that wasn't emotionally related, it would be either Seinfeld or um, Cheers. Cheers. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, last last question before we segue to leadership here. What would be a really good flavor for toothpaste? Ooh. Because it's always mint or cinnamon and then, you know. You think we ought to mix it up somehow? Raspberry cheesecake. <laughs> raspberry cheesecake. <laughs> All right, raspberry cheesecake. So Vincent Puglisi is going to put his stamp on that, the uh, trademark for raspberry the, cheesecake. The, the, <laughs> the problem is I'd wind up eating it, and then I would get in trouble. That's yeah, that, that wouldn't be so good. <laughs> so, all right. So now you're in you're in a spot now um, where you've transitioned from photography and your business of, of photography to primarily being somebody that is like in a thought leadership space. You know, you're, you're teaching people, you're instructing people, you're coaching, you're mentoring, you're writing, you're helping people learn the things that you've been learning. And in the process, uh, there's, there's a lot more leadership responsibility that you have uh, had to experience or, or learn or, or, you know, just develop a, a good skill for over the past few years. And it seems to me in my time getting to know you that you navigate it pretty well. So what are, what are some of the things that you've been learning about leadership and what are the things that you would encourage others with who are in leadership that you've been learning um, that, you know, really help you as you're trying to lead people now? Oh, that's a great question. It, it, we could probably do a whole episode on that and, probably. and learn, learn maybe a lot. Maybe we will sometime. Maybe we maybe will. We'll. Maybe there'll be a part two. Because I keep learning from it. What what I've learned is, and, and it sounds kind of odd, but I have to be authentic to myself. Yeah. I have to first, because if I'm a phony, if I'm doing it to appease certain people or because I'm worried about what other people are going to think or, you know, oh, it's the flavor of the month idea. What What, what I noticed is, I bring my personality the way that I am into it first. Just things where I have to be bold. Like I know my personality. I need to be able to challenge. I can't give the rah-rah. This is just me personally. Sure. And that's why I'm saying be individualistic is, is I know I need to be able to push the edges and I need to be able to challenge people because I don't think most people are getting that in, in our world. I think they're getting a lot of fluff answers. They're getting a lot of, oh, you can do it. You can do it. But they're not getting questioned why. Why did you do this? And have you thought about this? And are you going to get this done? There's accountability that goes with that. And that goes with my personality. So it makes it to where I actually love the work that I do as opposed to it being like we talked about work. And if I get to be myself, I don't have to come off and pretend that I'm something I'm not. I know a lot of people deal with that. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, because of who we're leading, I have to do it this way. Mm -hmm. And 
That's the beautiful thing about building a micro niche, no matter what it is, is it's for your people and just your people. And it's not for all those people. And I'm cool saying that. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that, that we have to do what we're doing for the wrong people. And I would rather have a small group that gets it, that I get to be myself and lead the way that I need to lead and learn from there. Cause I've evolved to the way that I did three years ago is different than now, but it's still me. Right. It's not, I do things different cause I learned it could be done better, but it doesn't mean I'm being inauthentic. And I think sometimes we feel the need to be something we're not to put on a show for somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think that gets us in trouble over time because the real fans, the ones that really get you when they see you being something that you're not, that's a real great way to lose the trust of the people that love you most. Yeah. So I'd rather lose the wrong ones and keep the right ones being myself and then develop out from there. Mm-hmm. What, what aspect of leading people energizes you? Like, what, you know, what, what makes you feel like, wow, that, that was a, a fantastic day. Oh, seeing positive change mm-hmm. come from seeing positive change come from difficult conversations really makes me realize those difficult conversations need to be had. And when you see it and you have those breakthroughs and those aha moments and they, and when they don't believe that they can do it, that's a fun one. When they don't believe that they can do it and you have the guts to still push forward to challenge and they, whether it's through accountability or a a belief in themselves to do it and they they do it and they realize, wow, I did it. Mm -hmm. And you understand not that you try to take credit, but you understand that that never would have happened without that particular guidance that that really energizes you to be more of like, well, we're, we're filling a need here. There's, there's something missing here that, that some people aren't getting. Mm-hmm. What, what aspect of leadership would you say drains you the most? I, I'll, I'll admit mine. Um, I, I do a lot of counseling, and uh, I think counseling is helpful. But I know that at the end of the day, if I have a lot of counseling right in a row, mm-hmm. I need sleep. So is it something like that? Is it something else? I'm just curious. What, what do you think makes you feel more drained when people aren't curious in the world that i'm in mm-hmm. that that when i have to work with people that aren't curious i'm like i'll literally say what are you here for mm-hmm. if you have all the answers and you don't want any questions what are you here for you can do this go do it but what we're here we're here to solve problems we're here to grow and we're here to constantly challenge ourselves and to constantly evolve. Doesn't mean you're not happy. We're happy. I say all the time, I want to be content, but not satisfied. Mm-hmm. I always need to know that there's something that I can fail at because that's where the energy comes from me. And that's even those conversations. But if I have people that aren't curious in my circle, in, in the work that I do, and they just want to just kind of go along with it, that's wonderful. You just can't do it here. Mm-hmm. And so that I've noticed the ones that drain me are the ones that are there, the ones that are constantly look, looking to grow, always have a question for something to, mm-hmm. to, to evolve into. I could, I could do that, even though it does drain me because it gets, it, it just emotionally you care. So it gets tiring, right. but it gets tiring in a good way. Yeah. Well, you're trying, to, you're trying to encourage people in a good direction. You're trying to make investments in their growth. You're trying to pass along some of your wisdom to others or point out blind spots and, and things like that. And, and, you know, hopefully people are receptive. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think you do a good job of it. So, so kudos you. to you. And you definitely have a skill of pushing people and pushing the right buttons. And I, I think that's a good thing. Well, thank you. thank you. And I think it comes down to, with experience, you learn body language. You learn how to read the room. Mm-hmm. You learn, I can push to a certain point and then now, okay, bring it back a little bit. 
Because right. if you're a bulldog, if you're a bull in China, like you could, and, and you could, and you could break it and, and you too lose far. their will. Yeah. yeah. Or sometimes like, Hey, they have been doing this. Let's not, we're not pushing anything here. Like they're, they're doing they're And when you get self mode, like, that's what I want. I want ambitious, self-driven, generous people. Right. And, and, and I, and I say it right off the bat, that's when I interview people. And if you're not that, and you say you are, you're going to be, you're, it's going to show pretty quickly and it's not going to last. And if you're not that, then this is not the group for you. It's not meant to be something that's for everybody because right. like I said, there's somebody else that's going to do exactly what you're doing mm-hmm. and go to them. But this is what we want. And what you see is come together as a generous group that are, you know, they're having each other, having each other on their podcast they're helping each other out. They're getting on phone calls with each other mm-hmm. just to help. That was my vision for it. And to see that start, starting to come together and coming out beyond that is really gratifying because it doesn't require me to do all of it. It requires a great group to do it. I get to lead it. But in the beginning, pretty much everything falls on, on me to start. You just used a word that you referenced a little bit earlier and you just said it again. And it was one of the first things I remember you bringing up in the first conversation I had with you, you used the word generous. So why is this concept of generosity why does that really grip your heart like it does? Because it wasn't who I am. It, was, it wasn't who I was. It wasn't who I was at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a very driven, self-centered, aggressive go-getter, which when you grew up in New York as a photojournalist, you need all those attributes. You are elbowing through the crowd with everybody else trying to get a better shot than you with people that don't care about whatever matters. We got to get what you got to get done. And, and, and kill or be killed type of thing. And that's the environment you grow up in that world. And you can't be any other. It's hard to be another way. There are some that are, but it's hard to not be that way. And, you know, just so when I, when I realized that I did all the things that I wanted to do, I got the accolades that I wanted. I got the access that I wanted. All people would tell these stories about things that I did, but it never came down to the person that I was. And that's what it, that's when it really hurt. It was it was more about the things that I'd done mm. and the accomplishments than the person I was. And when I realized I got all the things that I wanted, but I wasn't looked at as a great person, <laughs> that is harder because when you don't have say the money and you have the the passion, it's easy to go forward because like I there's something to get to. But when you get the things that you want and you realize you're not happy, the only person you can look at is yourself. And I had to look back and be like, why are these other people being praised as great people? And I'm being praised as a great storyteller or or photographer. And I didn't like that. So I had to look back and what was wrong? And what was wrong is nothing, very little of what I'll probably make myself sound worse than I was, but very little of what I was doing was generous. It was, it was about, you know, if it was generous, it still was to get what I need to get. Mm -hmm. But it was not about that. It was, it was about getting what, so when I realized I'm not happy doing this and then I started seeing the people in my life that really were impactful to me, it wasn't because of their accolades or their pictures. It was because of how they made me feel the things that they did with no expectation. Mm-hmm. And then I started reading people like Seth Godin. I started reading different people that preached this. And not only did they have all the success that everybody wanted, but they were genuinely that type of person mm-hmm. that I started being like, I have a big change to make. So when we went toward generosity, I started studying that and practicing that and putting that into my daily life. I saw how it made me, made me feel differently as a person. I saw how it changed my relationships. 
And then when this whole thing started, it, you know, years ago, it was like, that's going to be a core aspect of this because those are the people I want to be around. And that's the person that I want to become. And I don't know a better way of becoming that person than surrounding yourself with people like that. Right. So it was, it was, it was for me too. Yeah. But I've, I've heard you bring that from the time I first met you, you know, even today, as you're telling your story, that's a, a term that comes up from you quite a bit. And uh, you could tell that that's something that you think about a lot. I have to, because it, it, Dave Ramsey says he has to teach money because he's bad with money, right? <laughs> he's, he's bad with money, so he needs to teach it. And it's the same thing with me, because if I don't teach it and I don't focus on it and I don't make it a priority, I can see slipping back to the old ways because that's the way I, I was wired. So mm -hmm. I, fo I force myself to become a better person. And that is the number one way is to put others first and to think about how can I connect John with somebody else? How can I make other people's lives around me better? And ultimately, just like the people that I learned about earlier, my life became better. I didn't have to do any of the other stuff. I just needed to help other people. And it just reciprocity, I think, is a real thing. Yeah. And it's, a, I, I like to spiritualize it too. I think a, a concept that, that a lot of people in our audience will probably get, um, uh, will resonate with, you know, I always think, all right, like all, all the different ways God has blessed me that I don't deserve. Mm -hmm. Is it too much for me to look at somebody else and say, you know what, here, you don't have to earn this. You don't have to deserve this. Let, let me just bless you with this because yep. I'm cognizant of the fact that I receive blessings that I don't deserve. And so I just want to pass this along to somebody. As we wrap up here, I, I'm just curious, what, what are you working on next? Where can people find you? And, and what parting advice would you give to us? So what are you working on next? Where could people find you? And what's some of your parting counsel? Gotcha. Yeah, um, I'm working on a book. And this is hard. Right. This is hard. This is the second book. And, and the first book kind of just happened. This book I've tried multiple times in different ways and you know, there's, it feels like there's a little more of a pressure that comes with it, or is it, it I'm putting on myself, but I've been writing on this and I've been writing the concept out and, and, and I'm at the point where I'm feeling, I've been feeling great and I've been a little bit wary of it right now. And I think that's just happens every single time it happened with the last book where you have your ups and downs and your dips and I'm, I'm in the middle of a dip right now, but I'm excited to push through that and get this thing done and, and put together. So that's what we're working on right now. That'll probably go through the spring in terms of writing and, mm -hmm. and conceptualizing it. Um, where people can find me, the website is simple. It's totallifefreedom.com. And if anybody wants to check out the podcast, like you mentioned, I do a daily short form five to eight minute podcast. There's no ads. There's no intro. It's, it's just, it's simple stories and, and lessons. And that's Total Life Freedom Podcast. And parting wisdom. Um, I like to go simple. I really do. Whenever I get myself you know, if you have somebody that's listening right now and they, they listen to the early part and they're looking like, oh, maybe I want to build something out to give myself more of that life, right? And every single time I get overwhelmed, I have to come back and I have to be like, just be better than yesterday. That's all it has to be. There's not big goals. There's not email lists and income things. It's just, if I can consistently be better than yesterday, I don't worry about anything in the past. I don't stress about the future because that's what stresses me out. I'll look into the future. Like, is it not going the way that I want? Or it seems too overwhelming. Tomorrow is never overwhelming. It's when I project out a year or five years that feels overwhelming. So if I could just do today better than yesterday and tomorrow from there, every single time I get back on track in short time and then I can focus again. So take it a day at a time. Let tomorrow's worries worry about itself. Focus on, uh, focus on where you're at right now. Make progress. Take a step forward. That's, it's, it's so simple, but it's, it, it works. Awesome. Well, Vincent, 
It, so obviously it's wonderful to have you on the show here. This is a new feature we've been uh, beginning to add. We've got some additional interviews coming up in coming weeks. But I have to say, in addition to just being a, a great person to interview and chat with and a great author, great podcaster, it's wonderful to be able to count you as a personal friend. And uh, I thank you so much just for a variety of ways that I could say, you know what, like you've gone out of your way to make investments in my life over this past year. And I'll, I'll say for my audience, I'll say for you, one of the highlights of this past year has been having the opportunity to get to know you personally and be part of some of the things that you're leading. And uh, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you. And uh, oh, wow. I'm just thankful that you're you're willing to share some of your wisdom with us today. That means everything. I, I can't tell you how much. Um, I appreciate you saying those things and I feel the same way about you. It's, it's, I can't tell you how often we will reference you with the kids or Elizabeth and I will talk about what you've done or what you've taught. Um, and it's just been, it's just been the, the feeling of mutual and likewise, and, and it's just an honor to have you in my life. Well, thanks so much. And, and those of you that are listening to the uh, show today, you could check out Vincent's currently published book, Freelance to Freedom. It's a very fun and very helpful read. He's got another book coming out. I'm not going to make him reveal uh, any of the details related to that since I know it's still a work in progress. Go ahead. But I will say, um, if anybody wants it, I give away, if this is cool, I give away the audio version for free. So That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, please I, tell them I, where they could get that. Yeah, I did too until you just mentioned that. Um, TotalLifeFreedom.com slash F2F book. Um, it's on the website, just free audio book. The entire book We've recorded, we've made it for free, no, no cost at all. Um, so if anybody wants to listen to it, it's all there for anybody that wants to, wants to listen. Well, great. Well, Vincent, thanks so much for being with us today. And we look forward to the all, all the work that you have upcoming. Look forward to the new book when it comes out. And uh, again, thanks for sharing your wisdom. Thank you, sir. You are awesome. All right. Have a great one. Bye. A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help, guide, and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.